This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. So in keeping with that, we're going to start a short series. This series has to do with the fact that over the next few weeks, we're going to be dismantling things here and carrying it over to the new campus. And so the series is called Fixer Upper. Now, I don't know how much you know about remodeling. Uh, It's big business. Back in 2016, I read one account said it was $321 billion worth of work that went into remodeling and, and improving homes. And of course, besides that, every other TV show on cable is a remodeling show, right? You have your favorites. I was surprised when I started looking through them how long they've been around. Some of these guys I'd, I'd even forgotten existed and uh, had a lot of fun. We could have spent the morning look, thinking through all those different shows. But the point is simply this. Remodeling is big business. It's all over the place. How many of you have experienced a remodeling job at your home or where you've, how many? Many of, most of you. Okay. So then you know exactly what we're going to be talking about. It's, it's painful and it's messy. And sometimes you wonder, why in the world have we done this? Well, the truth is, Crossroads is remodeling, too. And so what is true of us as a church, what's true of us as a nation in our homes, is also true in spiritual lives. What's interesting is that there are some really powerful parallels between remodeling, the kind of remodeling that we do in our homes, and the kind of remodeling that God does in our lives as we become his followers. He changes things. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to explore some of the ways in which he changes things. And uh, uh, Pastor Jim's going to be speaking next week. Pastor Nick's speaking after that. We're going to have a little uh, roundtable after that. But we're going to explore some of the ways that God kind of moves things around. Today, my job is just to help us get used to this idea of the Christian life as remodeling. So... I guess I need to show you that, that Jesus' idea of the Christian life, his goal really is remodeling. If you have a Bible, open it up to Revelation uh, chapter 21. Revelation will be, if your Bible's upside down, it'll be the last book. Uh, otherwise, uh, or the first book if it's upside down. Yeah, right. Revelation 21, uh, starting in verse 5. This is at the end of time when God is summing up his work throughout history. And we read this in verse 5. He says, And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Everything Jesus is doing is about bringing things back, renewing things, remodeling things, putting things right according to his original design. It's been what he's been doing. Now, this idea that Jesus is making all things new, it's, it's not a new idea. In fact, it was represented even in the Old Testament. We read this in the prophet Ezekiel. When Ezekiel, through Ezekiel, God's saying, he's telling his people what he's going to do in the future. And, and he says it this way. He says, I will give them an undivided heart one day and put in them a new, a new spirit in them. I rem- will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people, and I will be their God. I want you to notice, and and we're not even going to get into that today, 
But I want you to notice that his work of renovating starts actually on the inside of people, not the outside. If you want to look in the, in the Gospels, maybe Matthew 23, over and over again you're going to bump into Jesus, or you read about Jesus when he bumps into these Pharisees, these people who think it's perfectly fine to just dress up the outside. And as long as the outside looks good, everything's good. And Jesus spoke against that constantly. See, the change that God is trying to do, make in our lives, this remodeling, it actually starts on the inside and works its way out to the outside. I also want you to notice that this work of remodeling, it's not just adding new things, but it's removing old things. That's sometimes the most painful part. When you start tearing into things, it makes a mess, and it creates chaos and pain. But this idea of remodeling in the lives of those who follow Jesus, it's not a new concept. Now, I want to identify a few of the things that happen as we remodel, because when we're done today, I hope, my, my, my only hope is that you feel like, okay, you know what, maybe I'm going to be okay through this. The end, the end result might be okay. I'm, I'm, I, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot. So the first thing we have to address is something that we're going to call renovation shame. Now, it's, this is where the parallel between the Christian life and regular remodeling falls apart a little bit. I don't know many people who are embarrassed to admit that they're remodeling. It's usually a good thing. Oh, that's great. You tell somebody, hey, I'm remodeling my bathroom. Oh, good. It's a good thing. But in our spiritual lives, if we're honest, in fact, it's already working in some of your hearts. You're already a little bit concerned about talking about making changes and improvements because we have this deep-seated, unspoken idea that somehow we shouldn't need renovation. You know, making things new to renew, to renovate. That's what God's doing. And yet somehow we think if we admit that we're remodeling, it means that there was something wrong in the first place. And I mean, I'm just doing little things, just, just little tweaks here and there. I mean, the whole structure is pretty good. And we feel that kind of pride welling up. And before you know it, we're, we're experiencing renovation shame. What a, what a mistake that is, to give in to that idea. That's what I appreciate so much, Dennis. And if, you, if, if you've been around Crossroads at all, there are dozens of people who will say the same thing. I am a work in progress. I am broken all over the place. I'm not, what I, I'm not like I was, but I'm not like I'm going to be. It's get, and it's okay to say we don't have it together. I'm so thankful for that. It helps us talk about this. You see, because once people start hiding the fact that they're renovating, something goes really bad. It, it starts us on a performance trap, pretending for other people, as though as long as you all think that I have it together, then everything's good. I mean, you guys are important to me, but you're not that important to me. I want to change on the inside. That's, after all, where you live, isn't it? You live on the inside. So if you're living on the inside of a life, and you're looking around saying to yourself, this place could use some work. Some of this stuff has been here forever, and this is always right in the way, and this hasn't worked. We have a kitchen sink, like all of you. It has a faucet, like all of you. It still works. 
Sort of, kind of. I mean, when you move it, water comes out of the spout and all around it. <laughs> That's not even a complicated repair, which is precisely why I still haven't done it. <laughs> but if I'm, if I'm honest, if you came over to my home and you went to the sink and you, and it, and you went, oh, you got a little leak. If I'm not careful, I'd be like, oh, 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 my goodness. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get right on that. And, and you hear it in my voice? I'm almost acting like, oh, my faucet leaked? My faucet leaks. I wonder what's leaky in your life. When the wind blows, which parts of your life kind of swing and bang? When the temperature outside changes, what parts of your home reflect that change and don't really protect you well. What are those things that you look at and you say, I have been meaning to get to that? Well, here's the good news. Not only is renovation shame a waste of time, it's unnecessary because renovation is actually part of our salvation. It's something to be celebrated, not be embarrassed by. For instance, uh, you may have heard that there are three tenses to our salvation, a past, present, and a future tense. And this all makes sense when you think about God being a God who, who isn't stuck in time. He stands outside of time. When he does something, it seems to us to be instantaneous. But from our experience, there's a past and a present and a future tense of our salvation. Romans 3, 22 uh, gives us an idea, some about this, this past tense of our salvation. We read this. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. You see, the past tense of our salvation is that in our past, Jesus died, he, he came to earth, he, he went to the cross, died on the cross, making an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That happened in the past. It's a historical fact. But through that act and your faith in that act, your faith in Jesus as your Savior, you and I are saved from the penalty of sin. There's a, there's a penalty, a charge, just like there's a penalty for stealing pen dot signs. <laughs> I stand up here with completely clean conscience. I had Pastor Jim steal these. I told him not to tell me anything more. We actually have a member, and he works for the construction. He's, yeah, these are legal. <laughs> but there's a penalty involved with our sin. When Jesus died, he made the payment, and that payment is credited to your and my account when you put your faith in him. We are saved from the penalty of sin. That's the past. But what's great about that past fact is it also secures a future fact. Romans 8 talks about that. Uh, Dave mentioned Romans 8. We read this, for those God foreknew, 
he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. The fact of the matter is because the past is a historical fact, your and my future hope is a fact as well. Because of what's true of our past tense of our salvation, the future tense of our salvation is secured because it's not dependent on my performance or your performance. It is dependent on what Jesus already did and completed. Isn't that good news? So our past is a fact and our future is secure. The problem is now. The problem is this time period in between. What's to happen in between? Well, again, as, as, as we've mentioned, God is standing outside of time. When Jesus died, his atoning sacrifice was credited to the account of all those who believe. Believe it or not, God knew you and I were coming. He knew we would believe, credited to our account even before, before anybody knew we were going to exist. Because of that, he can secure our future. But all of that happened in the less than a blink of an eye. This instantaneous creative work of God, salvific creation, instant. But what you and I are experiencing right now, what we're calling, what, what theologians call sanctification, we'll call remodeling or renovation, the Christian life, changing things as we go. What we're experiencing is not, well, I've got this failure, I've got that failure, I've got this problem, I've got that problem. Honestly, that perspective isn't even true anymore. We can look at passage after passage that says, from God's perspective, if you're here today and you put your faith in Christ, he sees you like his son. Your place is secure. It's done. It's a done deal. To think of these things as failures, it, it's, it's almost a mistake from God's perspective. Instead, I want to suggest that we should view this process of renovation as a slowing down of God's creative, salvific work. He slows it down in time. Slow enough. I know, you're thinking way too slow. Okay? <laughs> And you're thinking about the person sitting next to you. Um, he slows it down so that it goes slow enough so that we can participate with him. Let's get something straight. He does not need our help. From his perspective, the work is completely done. You are already made as perfect as Jesus himself. But you see, it's hard for us to fully appreciate what that means. And so God slows everything down, and he takes it one little project at a time. And he does it in this way so that we can participate with him. We can contribute. In fact, he will not do this work of renovation in your life against your will without your cooperation. One day, it will all happen, whether or not you have cooperated. But right now, this process of renovation is slowed so that we can participate with him. For instance, 
Again, we're in the book of Romans. Uh, if we look at Romans 6, Paul is writing to the believers there in Rome, and he says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Sounds to me like they're believers. And what he's saying is because they believed in what Jesus did in their past, their future is secure. Sounds pretty good. The next verse, in verse 18. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Don't you wish that were true? Wait, it is true. It is absolutely true from God's perspective. Are these people believers? Absolutely. Is their future secure? Absolutely. But if you would like to talk about what's happening now in their lives, we would have to look at verses 12 and 13. You've been free from sin. You're slaves to righteousness. You're with Christ. Therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. What is true of us in the future, that glorification, is in the process of being done now. That's what he's doing. You are being saved. Paul said it this way. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. When he's... He's talking, there's a rich Jewish understanding, Jewish history here, and he's talking about the experience of the Jews and, and Moses veiling his face and God veiling himself. And he was always so distant and mysterious and, you know, step into his presence and you're struck dead. But, but now because of the work of Jesus, we have access that is unprecedented. And so now he's trying to sum that up in verse 18. He says, and we all who with unveiled faces, and that's profound, it just means you and I have direct access with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. We're going to talk about that later in the series. What does that mean? It has to do with the God, God's spirit, using God's word as we direct our minds to, to think on those things. We who contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed. Do you notice the process? Being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. His process is to transform us and do in time what is already true of you in eternity. So here's the thought. Instead of renovation shame, I want you to understand, first of all, you're already done. Stick a fork in it. You're done. You're done. You know why... Jesus isn't mad at you because you're perfect. He loves you. When he sees you, he sees exactly what he intended. All he's doing now for your benefit is doing it slowly so you can participate. It's going to happen anyway. There's no, oh, I know what's going to happen. Oh, I hope I don't mess this up. I've got news for you. You mess this up, Jesus will do it again. You'll do it over again. You mess that one up, you'll do it over again. Now, if you get tired of doing the same job over and over again, you could focus yourself and do it right, and you'll move on to something else. 
but it will get done. Philippians 1 says, he who began this good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Oh, you're going to be done because you already are. Here's another thought that we have to talk about for just a moment, and that's this idea of renovation or decay. The truth of the matter is that there's a pace at which this renovation takes place. Sometimes it feels like it's going too fast. Often it feels like it's going too slow. But the thing that we want to address here is that, but it better be going, because there is no such thing as sitting still. Sitting still means going backwards. Now, I'm not a realtor. I played one on TV. No, but I know realtors. And I think all of them would agree that it is better for a homeowner to do ongoing work on their house as the years go by, not save it all up to the year that they want to sell their house. <laughs> we lived in York, Pennsylvania for a while. And uh, one of the things that we began to learn about many of the folks that were in our church there was that when you went to their home, it was very obvious that they had changed nothing since 1930 when they built the house. I didn't even know that kind of formica was ever made, you know. It's brand new. This, all this is a new thing. Formica, right? Ooh. This, it looked exactly the same. You felt like you were kind of going back in time. See, you're better off as a homeowner to to chip away at those things that need redone, just do them ongoing. Keep, keep things up. It's better, a better way to do things. In the spiritual life, if we are not renovating, if we tell God, hold it, I have had it, I'm not doing any more work, he will stop. But guess what? You don't stay still. You slip backwards because there is a, there's a draw against what God wants to do. We know that our flesh, is disobedient and rebels against what the Spirit of God wants in our lives. We want what is bad for us. We live among people who are governed by their flesh. And we live in a world where the entire system has been designed and is engineered by the enemy of Christ himself. There is no way to sit still. If you stop renovating, you start going backwards. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hand or an amen, but all of you know what that feels like. Something happens and you go, well, you know what? And within days, you could feel yourself going further from the Lord, not closer. Revelation, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12 is a familiar passage, but Revelation 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. That's typical. That's what happens with no attention. It's not like you're going to have to call someone, you know, go on Angie's list and find somebody. Hi, could you come over and conform me to the image of this world, please? Because I'm, I'm definitely not nearly worldly enough. Yeah. Okay. You, you don't need help. Give it a little time. It will smash you into its likeness. Don't conform to this pattern. Instead, be transformed. The work that Jesus is doing is to renovate your life. No such thing as standing still. Let's talk about this for just a second. Renovation pain. Renovations are almost always painful. And, and it's not just if you hurt yourself, like 
like I tend to. You know, there's almost always this kind of process, and, and don't, don't try to create parallels where they don't exist, but, but I couldn't help but notice, you know, usually when you're going to do a renovation project, one of the first things you do is the stuff that isn't being renovated, you move it out of the room. In my neighborhood this week, I noticed that my neighbors, all of their living room furniture is now in their garage. They're getting carpet, of course. It just looks a little strange to have all those couches out in their garage. You move the stuff that's not being changed, and you protect it, and you secure it. That by itself is a pain. It's hard to see the TV from the garage. <laughs> right? Then you begin to identify the stuff that's old, broken, and has got to go. Then you begin demolition. In remodeling, that's one of the parts that I'm qualified for. Demolition, sort of qualified, because if there's something that's not supposed to get broken, you better flag it, right? A little indiscriminate. But demolition is only fun when you're not the one cleaning up. And so before you know it, all this old stuff, all this broken stuff, all this stuff starts to get in the way. And before you've got miles of rubble, piles, you're you're surrounded by junk and dirt, and you think to yourself, I mean, when you're eating dinner, and you can taste drywall, right? It's like, oh, I hate this, right? Oh, there's pain involved. There's pain involved. I want you to imagine for a minute that your life is a living house. Your life is a living house. When Jesus first came in to your life, especially if you came to faith as an adult, what he did at first made perfect sense. As soon as he came into your world, he began to patch the roof that was leaking, secure the window that was broken, reseal the door so it would lock. None of this is surprising to you. None of it is painful. It's delightful. In fact, you were expecting him to do it. You knew it needed to be done all along. This is great. Getting this place fixed up. It made perfect sense at first. But then something changed. Then he started punching holes in walls that you thought were perfectly fine. The place where you always sat, it doesn't exist anymore. Where am I going to sit? And when you fuss and complain, it's as though he doesn't even listen. There's a reason for that. But at this point, we just have to say, when God begins tearing in, not only is the mess painful, but he ends up by tearing out things that we didn't expect to get torn out. Things that we thought were perfectly functional. And then when we ask him about it, he acts just like every other construction boss. He doesn't care what you think. Here's the lesson in this renovation process. Jesus is the master builder. He has the architect. He's got the plans. Psalm 127 says this, Unless the Lord builds a house, the builders labor in vain. You want him doing the work. You, You want him speaking into this. Paul picks up on that same idea in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, 
Someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. Wow, you thought we made this series up out of the creative minds. These it's, it's in the Bible. No one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Christ Jesus. Boy, we could talk all morning just about that. Whose foundation? Verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation, now, when he says if, he's not saying, well, you might build and you might not. That's not what he's referring to. The if refers to what kind of materials you use. Everyone builds on their foundation. What he's saying is, some build using gold and silver and costly stones, while others use wood, hay, and straw. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. Be advised that through this renovation process, Jesus is going to follow a holy fire code. He knows what will burn and what will not. And no matter how much you like the straw, you like the look of the wood, he, unless you stop him, he's going to keep installing precious stone, silver, gold. You're going to say, well, wait, that's too much. We don't need that. Well, nothing wrong with that countertop where it was. Right. And he's just going to keep tearing into it. You see, we have to know that Jesus is the master builder. We have to know that he's building according to a plan. But the newsflash is, he is not using the same plan you're using. Actually, C.S. Lewis, this idea really, it didn't come from C.S. Lewis. Actually, C.S. Lewis stole it from... George MacDonald, George MacDonald probably stole it from St. Teresa of Aville. It goes way back. But again, this idea that you and my lives are a house, a living house. And Jesus comes in and begins to fix things. But then he starts tearing into things that, that whoa, 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 wait, we said nothing about the living room. Yeah, well. And he begins tearing into it. And we're concerned and we're perplexed. And, and, and here's what you have to understand. He's not there. He's not here in your life to repair your little shanty. That's all you sign up for. Hey, could you make a couple of quick repairs to my little hovel? If you were to unroll the master plan that he has for your life, what you would notice is it's way bigger than anything you imagined. You see, he's actually planning to build a mansion. A mansion. Not even a McMansion, just a mansion. It's going to be filled with ornate objects and beauty. It's going to be the kind of place that people walk by and go, wow. And guess why he's doing it? Because he thinks you deserve a mansion? No. Because what you've forgotten is that he intends to live there too. That's why he's making the changes that he's making. He has no intention of fixing it up and then moving on to the next house. He's planning on living there in your life. Now, let's think about that this week. And as soon as you start thinking, and I hope that in the next four or five weeks, you will just kind of get in the habit of thinking of your life as a building project and imagining Jesus every morning, all the time, stepping in. They show up at the job site, and they're like, okay, what's up for, what's today? And I want you to imagine that you're standing at the work site before Jesus, the, the job boss, gets there, and you think to yourself, i got to remember, he's actually going to be living here. 
And then you're going to look at some part of that building and say, okay, okay guys, this has got to go. This has got to go. This little altar thing, this has got to go. If Jesus is going to, I wasn't thinking. He's going to live here. This can't be here. He wants to live with you, which brings us to this last idea of renovation gain. Nobody remodels unless they have an idea that there's something worthwhile. There's something good at the end that makes it worth doing because there's pain and there's problems. The gain here is that Jesus is going to be working with you. You'll never get to know him better than when he, he, he and you are working on your lives together. Now, with that thought in mind, listen to this passage from Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of remodelers, these are people that have had this work done before us, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin which so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the architect, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he did this work already on our behalf. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down on the right hand of God the Father. That's what's going on. The plans that Jesus purchased with his blood, he is now enacting in your life. But you do have to let him. When Paul was writing to Timothy, this young pastor that he had trained, this poor guy, kind of a timid little heart, he's a young guy, he knows he doesn't know all that much, he's in a difficult spot fighting against false teachers and God's sheep as well. And Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. When you're getting weary in this renovation process, remember the work was actually already done. And the things that you've heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. The idea is don't do this alone. Don't keep this renovation project a secret. Learn to begin to tell one another, what's, what's God doing in your life lately? What's he working on? Join with me in suffering. Well, okay, still renovation pain. It's going to be a mess. Then he gives these illustrations. It's kind of interesting. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. Anyone who competes as an athlete learns to run by the rules, he says. Even, even a farmer knows that he's going to plant at one spot at one point in time. He's going to reap at another point in time. Don't get so impatient. We're going to get there. In fact, I love verse 7. He says, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. I actually prayed that for you this morning. Reflect on these things, and the Lord would give you insight. What room of your house is the one that needs renovation right now? Don't say, oh boy, everyone. Ah, no, 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 no. You're not falling for that trick. There is one that just, you just, it, it's just screaming that it needs work. 
and you probably already know what it is. In fact, you know what it is because every morning you find Jesus in that room and you're shrewing them out. I want you this week to go to that room and stand there and ask yourself, is this really how you want it to stay? Or are you willing to let him come in and change things? By the way, this next passage speaks volumes. Paul says, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some of them for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy and useful to the master, prepared for any good work. If you know that Jesus died for you, then you know that he actually intends to use you for his purposes, not for something common. cleanse ourselves. And he goes in and Timothy talks a little bit about what that would be and we'll talk about that later. Fleeing to evil desires. Um, don't argue with people. Be a good example. But, but I'm going to leave you with these words from Paul in Philippians as we go. See, we need to have a healthy perspective as we go through this renovation process. I think Paul exhibited that. He says, not that I've already obtained all this. I haven't arrived or that I've already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus, Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, and here is what we must adopt for the next few weeks as God, he doesn't just, not, he doesn't just renovate our new campus, he renovates us. Forgetting what is behind. Did you hear in Dennis's story how God is just, clipping these strings and setting them free from his past. Still, it's still his past. That'll never change. Oh, but to be set free from the past, to no longer be its slave, forgetting what is behind. I strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward for Christ Jesus. Now, the good news is, whether you resist or not, one day, this will all be done. But you only get the chance to cooperate with God right now. So, I've been looking around, and I think this place could use a little work. You probably agree. Let's let all the, thing, all the work that gets done these next few weeks as we, as we move from here to our new campus, let's let all of that work and all of the, the mechanics of that Let's let those things remind us of the changes that need to happen in us so that we arrive there, the new creations that Paul talks about. So I just ask you, are you ready for a renovation adventure? I hope you are. Let's pray. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I would hate for you to leave without missing out on that key truth. See, Jesus died to pay for your sin. He made that atoning sacrifice. It's already been done. He, he didn't do it to get something from you. He did it because he wants something for you. He loves you. He wants to redeem your life. 
If you're willing to put your faith in what he did in the past, he says he will secure your future. Then you can enter into what we're describing about the present. Let me tell you that living every day when instead of facing pain and difficulty and discouragement, instead of that, every believer ought to be understanding that all that's going on is that Jesus is finishing the work that he's begun. None of this is beyond his control. All of it has a purpose. And we can face every day and every experience with joy and hope and confidence and peace because he who began this work will be faithful to complete it. But remember, brothers and sisters, he will not do it against your will. So if you've not trusted Jesus right now, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I'm trusting you as my Savior. But if you have believed in Jesus, Jesus, I'm sorry I've been resisting your renovation of my life. Your plan is my plan. I welcome you to the job site. Let's build the life that you intended all along. Jesus, you're so good. You love us just the way we are, but you don't leave us that way. And we have this unique opportunity to cooperate with you, to participate in this changing process. I pray that you'd give us courage. Cleanse us from these things that defile us. That our lives might be a place where you take up residency and others see your glory as we live. We ask it in your matchless name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.